right. Turn with me, if you would, of Colossians. So what we're going to do today is uh, sort of an overview of the book of Colossians, mostly focusing somewhat on the heresy that Paul was addressing here within the book. So what we'll do is we'll just go ahead and read through the whole book. It's four chapters. It's not very long. And, and then we'll uh, proceed from there and, and see if we can learn a little bit from this. So Colossians chapter 1, uh, verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Coloss, grace to you and peace from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and growing, as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant, he is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened, strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death, in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you have heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions, for the sake of his body, that is, the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations but now revealed to his saints. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of his glory, of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. 
Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See, see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him, who is the head of all rule and authority. In him also you were circumcised with the circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead. And you, who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses, by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink, or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions, puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind, and not holding fast to the head, from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with the growth that is from God. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to things that all perish as they are used, according to human precepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passions, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these things, on account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices, 
and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which you indeed were called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. In whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Slaves, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ, for the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. Masters, treat your slaves justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom towards outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Tychicus will tell you all about my activities. He is a beloved brother and faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are, and that he may encourage your hearts. And with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you, they will tell you of everything that has taken place here. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you, and Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, who is called Justice. These are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and for those at Laodicea and in Heropolis. Luke, the beloved Felician, greets you, as does Demas. Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. And when this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church of, Laodicea, of the Laodiceans, and see that you also read the letter from Laodicea. And say to Archippus, see that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. So we have here in the book of Colossians a letter that was written to Paul 
to encourage them to continue in the faith that they had once heard and to not be drawn down and to not follow empty deceit and the sensuous mind of a man who is trying to teach them something other than Christ. And so to understand this, it helps to know that Colossus was a city in the Roman province of Asia that was near Laodicea, and that's why Paul tells them to uh, greet the church that is there. It is nearby. It's somewhere where they probably have interaction with the church at Laodicea. And it was located around 100 miles to the east of Ephesus along the Lycus River. Its location in the river valley, it was used as a passageway from Rome to the Euphrates Valley. This plays an important role in the amalgamation of the false doctrines that threatened the Colossian church there. The church in Colossus was most likely founded by Epaphras after he heard the gospel preached in Ephesus by Paul. Acts also tells us about Paul's ministry there in Ephesus and its impact on all the churches in Asia. If you would turn with me to Acts chapter 19. Acts chapter 19, verse 1. It says, And it happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus. There he found some disciples, and he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, No, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. And he said, Into what then were you baptized? And they said, Into John's baptism. And Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who was to come after him, that is, Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. And there were about 12 men in all. And he entered the synagogues and for three months spoke boldly, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. But when some became stubborn and continued in unbelief, speaking evil of the way before the congregation, he withdrew from them and took the disciples with him, reasoning daily in the hall of Tyrannus. This continued for two years, so that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jew and Greeks. So we see here that Paul's ministry there in Ephesus spread to all the residents of Asia. And we know that Paul didn't necessarily travel to all these places, so there had to have been men here in Ephesus, those possibly traveling, and then they went back to their home cities that took the gospel of Christ with them. God, in his graciousness, in his goodness, saved them and continued to spread his gospel uh, to the surrounding areas. And so it's likely that uh, Epaphras was the one who probably heard the gospel of Christ preached by Paul, he went back home and then he began to teach those there in his own city the truth of Jesus Christ and many uh, were added to the church there in Coloss. It says in Colossians 1 uh, verse 7 and 8, it says, Just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant, he is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. And then also in chapter 4 verse 12, it says, Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Jesus Christ, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and Heropolis. 
So we see that it was likely Epaphras who had proclaimed that. He was working hard for them. He was sharing the gospel. He was being a faithful minister that had been called by God to proclaim the gospel in the area that he was in. And as it happens with all uh, churches and with many of the letters that we find within many of the epistles we find within the Bible, Paul writes to the churches because they are facing challenges to the gospel message. And so Paul writes this letter to refute false teaching that is endangering them. However, unlike most of Paul's letters, we see that it was likely a single false teacher within this church instead of a group of teachers or a a movement that was challenging the church. And we can see this when we compare the other epistles with how he addresses the, the people and the false teachers in the other epistles with how he addresses those here in Colossians. Let's look at Galatians chapter 1. Galatians chapter 1, verse 6. It says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are, return, or in our turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. So he says there in verse 7, there are some who trouble you. Some who trouble you. Chapter 4 of Galatians, verse 17. He says there, they make much of you, but for no good purpose. They want to shut you out, that you may make much of them. So we see that it is they who are doing this. They are doing this. Chapter 5, verse 12. He says there, I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. So it's those who are unsettling the Galatian church. And then in chapter 6, verse 12. It says there, it is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised, and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. We also see this in the book of Philippians. If you'll turn there. Philippians chapter 3. look at verse 2, it's Philippians 3, 2. It says, look out for the dogs, look out for the evildoers, look out for those who mutilate the flesh. So we see that there are evildoers and those are who mutilate the flesh or those of the circumcision party that they are to look out for that are threatening the church. And then in verse 18 of chapter 3, it says there, for many of whom I've often told you and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. So they were facing many adversaries in the Philippian church that they needed to watch out for and they needed to be careful of and that they needed to refute. But here in Colossus, it appears as though he's addressing a single false teacher. In chapter 2, verses 4, 8, 16, and 18, Paul alludes to the false teacher, saying either that no one, to let no one, or that no one should deceive them. In verse, chapter 2, verse 4, 
It says, I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. Chapter 2, verse 8, it says, See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy in empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. Verse 16, Therefore let no one pass judgment on you in question of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. And then in verse 18, Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions, puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind. So it seems in it that Paul is addressing a single person within the church that is trying to draw the church away from the foundation that they learned from Epaphras, a faithful servant of Christ. And so we see how Paul would address a, an individual, how he would teach the church to oppose someone who is circumventing the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And what was this error that this teacher was telling the Colossian church? What was he proclaiming? Well, we mentioned earlier that the church was upon a, the Lycus River, and it was likely a major route from Rome to the Euphrates Valley. And so we see that there's probably a mixture of natives of the area, a mixture of Greeks and Jews, and the false teaching at Colossus was most likely a mixture of many different religions, bringing in different aspects of the cultures that had, been, had come there to uh, Colossus. And we can see this in piecing together different portions of the book in Colossians 2, chapter 16 through 23. It says, Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in question of food or drink, or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions, puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind, and not holding fast to the head, which from the whole body nourishes and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to things that all perish as they are used, according to human precepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. So we see there that Paul says, Therefore let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. So here we seem to have an imposition of Jewish rules and rituals. Most likely, observances instituted by human tradition rather than the scriptures. And it is a stubborn trust in rituals and traditions that condemn us further as it did the scribes and the Pharisees of Jesus' day, as we see in Matthew chapter 23. Matthew chapter 23, verse 1, it says, Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, The scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat and so practice and observe whatever they tell you, but not what they do. For they preach but do not practice. They tie up heavy burdens hard to bear and lay them on people's shoulders. But they themselves are not willing to move them with their fingers. 
They do all their deeds to be seen by others, for they make their phylacteries broad and their fringes long, and they love the places of honor at feasts and the best seats in the synagogues and the greetings in the marketplaces and being called rabbi by others. But you are not to be called rabbi, for you have one teacher, and you are all brothers. And call no man your father on earth, for you have one father who is in heaven. Neither be called instructors, for you have one instructor, the Christ. The greatest among you shall be your servant, Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. So we have here Jesus confronting the scribes and Pharisees, knowing that they were the ones who were depending upon the Old Testament law for their salvation. But they also added to that many rituals and many things that weren't written in Scripture. And most of these things were outward symbols. They were signs, and they liked to walk around, and they liked to be allotted for what they were doing but they were tying up heavy burdens for the people. And we know that Christ said that his burden is light. His yoke is light. His burden is easy. And that is what Paul is addressing, that in Colossus, the false teacher was tying up heavy burdens for them, things that Christ did not claim for them or tell them that they should do, no command of Christ, but instead they needed to focus on Christ and his finished work on the cross for their salvation because there was nothing else that they could add to that. Jesus here in Matthew 23, he goes on and he tells us what he thinks of these people. In verse 13, it says, But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. And then he says in verse 16, Woe to you blind guides who say, If anyone swears by the temple, it is nothing. But if anyone swears by the gold of the temple, he is bound by his oath. Verse 23, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matter of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. You blind guides, straining out a gnat and swallowing a camel. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they are full of greed and indulgence. Verse 27. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. In verse 29, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you build the tombs of the prophets and decorate the monuments of the righteous, saying, If we had lived in the days of our fathers, we would not have taken part with them in the shedding of the blood of the prophets. So we see that they were adding to the law many rituals, many things and observances that they were commanding the people to take. And all of these were ways to circumvent their sinful hearts and to be able to practice the sins they wanted with having an appearance of godliness, with having an appearance that they were following God and obeying his commands. So we see that the rituals of the Old Testament were only a shadow of the Messiah, it says there in Colossians. He says that they are a shadow of things to come. And we know that what came was Christ. So those who hold to the practices, these are outward symbols and rituals and are hearing to a shadow religion that is a denial of Christ who is the substance of true religion. So Paul here is rebuking legalism, a misunderstanding and a misuse of God's law. God's law cannot save and no amount of adherence to his law will appease his wrath. Instead, God's law is a schoolmaster which is to lead us to Christ and was never meant as a means of salvation. In Galatians 3.24, it says, So then, the law was our guardian or our tutor until Christ came in order that we might be justified 
by faith. So it is by our faith that we are justified before God, not by our outward works, not by following rituals that we are to be justified before God. Legalism always leads to the addition of man-made laws which obscure and hide man's inability to keep God's true law. Outward observances of the law do nothing to deal with the inward issues of the heart and the motives. And this is what Christ taught in Matthew chapter 5. Let's look at Matthew chapter 5. Matthew 5, verse 21. It says, You've heard that it was said of old, You shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment, and whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. And then verse 27, You heard that it was said, You shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So we see that Jesus was getting to the real issue of the problem. We must have a change of heart. We must have a change of our nature to be pleasing to God and be justified in his sight. By nature, we're children of Satan, but by grace, we become children of God. And that's what Paul is telling the Colossians. Ezekiel chapter 32, verse 26 says, And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey obey my rules. So we see that it is a work of God on the heart that changes the man. He says, I will give you a new heart. I will put my spirit within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. So the obedience that we owe to God is all a result of his work within our hearts. And it is through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ and the faith God gives us to believe in that, that then we work to bring glory to his name. And so there is no amount of works or good deeds that we can do to appease God's wrath. There's nothing that we can do to make him happy with us, to justify ourselves, to clear the record of debt that we have. But it is, cross, it is Christ who does that because he took our record of debt and he nailed it to the cross. He is the one who paid our debt. And so we have nothing left to owe but a love and a desire to follow after Christ. And even that love and desire we see here in Ezekiel is coming from God himself. So all of salvation is by God's work and by his will within the life of the believer. Shadowy religion of external rituals and symbols appeal to the flesh and they feed pride. It feeds the senses, it feeds the feelings and the sensations. But what does true religion do? Galatians chapter 3 verse 5. Galatians 3, verse 5 says, Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? And then also Romans 10, 17, it says, So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. 
So scripture teaches us that true religion will feed your spirit through the word by instilling knowledge and understanding which produces true faith. So justification before God, faith in God, does not come by adherence to outward rituals, to commands, but it comes by the word of God changing our hearts. It comes by the spirit of God using the word of God to give us a new heart and a new nature that loves God and wants to obey what he has said. And that obedience is for our love of God because we love him, because we want to glorify him, not because we are trying to earn our salvation. The true Christian knows that he can't earn God's favor through keeping of the works of the law. But we have to have Christ in us and we have to be hidden in Christ. Another clue that we have about it pointing to a mixture of different religions can be found in verse or chapter 2, verse 18 in Colossians. Chapter 2, verse 18. He says there, Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions, puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind, and not holding fast to the head from which the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with the growth that is from God. So false teachers will attack and attempt to disqualify true believers based on false humility that is based on self-denial and their own puffed up spiritual enlightenment. And we see that today. There's all sorts of books where men have enlightened ideas and they want to tell us something new about the Christian life when everything we need is within God's word. If you're to read a book written by a man, it should be a book that is explaining what God's word says, not a book that is bringing something new to God's word or interpreting it in a way that is unnatural to the text or in a way that is different from what the church has believed and taught throughout the generations. Scripture teaches us that true religion will feed your spirit through the word by instilling knowledge and understanding which produces faith. The false teacher attention is usually on his own senses, his sensual experiences. He might consider himself spiritually privileged, but is actually poor in the spirit due to his failed connection with the head. He's not holding fast to the head, the scripture says in Colossians, who is the true source of spiritual knowledge, understanding, and insight. So we must make sure that we are holding fast to the true head, which is Jesus Christ, because it is out of him that flows all spiritual knowledge, understanding, and insight, everything that we need. Our focus should be on what is truly spiritual, that is, our union with Christ in his complete atoning work of redemption within us. Christ is the head of the church, and all spiritual nourishment flows from him, not from man's make-believe spiritual enlightenment. John chapter 15. John chapter 15, verse 1. I am the true vine, and my my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may be more fruit, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. 
I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. So there he says in verse 4, Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, unless it abides in the vine, and neither can you, unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing." And then in verse 8, by this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. So we see Jesus is teaching what Paul is, that we must stay, stay fast a hold of the head of the church, which is Christ. Because it is only if we are nourished in Christ, in the knowledge of Him, that we will bear fruit. And the fruit we then bear is good before God, because it is coming from the source the fruit we are bearing is nourished by the source. And it says that in verse 8, that is how we are proving to be Christ's disciples. It's not how we become Christ's disciples. So as long as we stay connected to Christ, God himself will grant us growth. We don't need to supplement Christ with fertilizer, our good works, to produce good fruit. We have to supplement Christ with nothing but continued understanding and reading of his word, letting him nourish us by his word. The next clue that we have about the combination of many religions in Colossians is in chapter 2, verse 20. It says there, If with Christ you die to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to things that all perish as they are used, according to human precepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh." Christ is supreme over all authority, including the spirits of this world. And we have died to the world in Christ and the world's human principles. The world has no authority over us. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1 through 5, it says, Now the Spirit expressly says that in the latter times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons, through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared, who forbid marriage and require abstinence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving, for it is made holy by the word of God and by prayer. So we should reject anything, any teaching, that is not bound by God's written word. 
So if someone comes to us and says that we are to abstain from foods, that's not bound within God's written word and we must reject it. It is self-made, man-made religion. It is going to draw us away from the head that is Christ. Nothing we do can save us. And we can add nothing to our salvation to make us more holy or more justified. Our only hope for spiritual life and spiritual sustainment lies in Jesus Christ alone. Man-made commands and teachings seem to be wise. They have an appearance of godliness. They seem to be legitimate. In chapter 2 of Colossians verse 4, it says they are plausible arguments. In 2 and 23, it says they have an appearance of wisdom. But we know that this is not true. They are man-made and they do not hold fast to the head, which is Christ. And this is what we see in all false religions. Outward, physical adherence to self-afflicting or hyper-spiritualized practices. Man looks to the Dalai Lama and the lifestyle he lives and believes he is pious and loving and a very spiritual man. They even call him His Holiness. The world will exalt those like Mother Teresa who followed all the rituals and practices of the Roman Catholic Church. But what we find is what men exalt is what God calls an abomination. Luke chapter 16. Luke chapter 16, verse 14. The Pharisees, who were lovers of money, heard all these sayings, and they ridiculed him. And they said to him, You are of those who justify yourselves before men, but God knows your hearts, for what is exalted among men is an abomination in the sight of God. So we see that Christ tells us that what men exalt is an abomination in the sight of God. So if we're following man-made religion, then we are an abomination before God. It is not gaining God's favor. It is not justifying us. But this is what you find in all the false religions. And this is why Paul sought to preach Christ and only Christ. We see this in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. First Corinthians chapter 2, verse 1. It says, And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling, and my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God." So he says there the exact opposite of what's happening in Colossus. Paul did not come to them with plausible words of wisdom. Why? Because he did not want their faith to rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. So what did he preach then? He preached nothing to you but Christ. He preached nothing but Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And so that's what we need. That's what we need to be preached to us is Jesus Christ and Him crucified. So Paul, a true man of God, stands in stark contrast to the Colossian false teacher. And this is what we should expect from our teachers. We should expect those who preach from God's Word to always draw our attention to our greatest need, the forgiveness of our sins through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. 
In the end, man-made commands and teachings proved to be nothing but a denial and attack on Christ himself. They seem as though they would work to subdue the flesh, but in the end, they don't work. They don't deal with the root of the problem. They don't deal with the heart. They only mask an issue or mask the true issue and hide the truth. In Colossians 2, 23, it says, These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body. It says there, but they are of no value in, in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. So these things do nothing to truly stop the indulgence of the flesh. And that's what we saw that Christ was addressing in Matthew chapter 23. That the scribes and the Pharisees appear to have to be very godly and to be very righteous. But the indulgences of the flesh were still taking place within them. And he also dealt with that in Matthew 5. You've heard that it was said you should not commit adultery. But I say you should not look with lust. Because you commit adultery within your heart. So the true issue is what's happening in the heart, and that's where we need to have a change. In fact, instead of stopping our sin, these human commands promote fleshly indulgences by stirring up competition, self-righteousness, pride, envy, and a whole host of other sins. 2 Timothy chapter 3. Second Timothy chapter three, verse one. But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty, for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. So we see all of these things that we just read seem to be really evil things, things we would expect of the world. But in verse 5, he says, they have an appearance of godliness. So these are people who are proclaiming to be godly, proclaiming to be righteous. But what does Paul tell us here in 2 Timothy that they're really like? a whole host of sins, a whole list of issues that these people actually have. He says in verse 5, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power, avoid such people, for among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women, burdened with sins and led astray by various passions, always learning and never able to arrive at a knowledge of truth. Just as Janus and Jambers who opposed Moses so these men also oppose the truth, men corrupt in mind and disqualified regarding the faith, but they will not get very far, for their folly will be plain to all, as was that of those two men. So it has an appearance of godliness, but it denies its power. And it says, so they, these men also oppose the truth, in verse 8, Men corrupted in mind and disqualified regarding the faith. So those who are practicing these things, these self-righteous rituals, these man-made religions, they are disqualified. They are corrupted in mind. And they are of their father, 
the devil. They are believing in lies, and so we must not believe in lies, but we must believe the truth of God's holy word. The only true way for us to subdue the flesh is in Christ alone through the Spirit of God. Let's look again at Galatians chapter 5. Galatians 5, verse 16. It says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. So we have it right there. If we're walking by the Spirit of God, then we won't gratify the desires of the flesh. If we're walking by our own power and by our own strength through outward religion, then we will gratify the desires of the flesh. Verse 17, for the desires of the flesh are against the spirit and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. So he says there, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desire of the flesh. And then in verse 18, But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. In verse 24, And those who belong to Jesus Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. So it is through the Spirit of Christ, through the Spirit of God working in us, that we will live holy lives before God. So it is through His power. So we must be attached to the vine. We must be attached to Jesus Christ. We must be learning of Him and obeying Him through what the Scripture teaches us. The false teacher in Colossus most likely didn't refute Christ, but like the Judaizers confronted throughout the New Testament, he also didn't see Christ as sufficient and believed it necessary to add to Christ beliefs and rituals that would take the Christian to the next level, that would make the Christian better, that would make the Christian desirable to God and justified before him. This false teacher had the goods, and he was eager to share with others his perceived way of enlightenment. So we see in Colossians, Paul's effort to stress the absolute sufficiency of Christ in his work instead of proving who Christ was. Paul wasn't refuting a false religion. He was confronting a denial of Christ. He was battling a more subtle enemy who was belittling Christ and teaching a doctrine based on the works of man rather than on the work of Christ. And what's the remedy for all false doctrine? Sound doctrine. Paul begins his letter to the Colossians by thanking God for their establishment 
in a sound doctrine of Christ. Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1, it says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Coloss, grace to you and peace from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love that you have for all the saints. Because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel which has come to you as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and growing as it also does among you since the day you heard of it and understood the grace of God in truth. Just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant, he is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. So there he says in verse 4, since we heard of your faith in Jesus Christ, in Christ Jesus, and then he goes on in verse 5, Of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel. And he says in verse 6, That they have understood the grace of God in truth. So this is what they were established in. When Epaphras brought the gospel back to them, he taught them Jesus Christ. He established them in true sound doctrine based upon the death and resurrection of Christ for the forgiveness of sins. And so Paul draws their attention back to this, letting them know you already have learned what you need to learn to be saved. You already have faith in God. You already believe in Him. You already have everything you need in Jesus Christ. And this is exactly what Christ said He would do when Peter confessed Him as the Christ, the Son of the living God in Matthew 16, verse 13 through 18. Let's turn over there. Matthew chapter 16, verse 13. So now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea, Philip asked, Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, why do people say that the son of, who the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So we see that Peter's confession that Christ is the Son of the living God is what Jesus said was the foundation that he would build his church upon. So Christ himself declared he would build his church upon the confession of him being the Christ, the Son of the living God. And that is what we see happen in Coloss. It says there that they heard the word of truth, the gospel. We know that the gospel is the preaching of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins. And that is what they heard there in Coloss. And it bore fruit in them. It was increasing in them, Paul said, ever since they had heard it and understood the grace of God and truth. And then we see back over there in Matthew chapter 16, it is God who reveals these things. God revealed to Peter who Christ was. And so God uses the preaching of his word, and then he takes that preaching of the word through the power of his spirit, 
and he awakens the dead heart of man and he reveals to himself Jesus Christ and all that Christ is and all that he has done. And that is what brings the salvation into the heart of the elect that then causes them to walk in righteousness and holiness, not for the sake of being justified before God, but because God has wrought a work within their lives that leads them to love him and they have a desire to be pleasing to him in everything that they do. And this is the same foundation that was laid by Peter in the first sermon of the Christian church that we see in Acts chapter 2. Peter laid the foundation of Christ. The scripture says that those who heard it were cut to the heart and that 3,000 were added to the church that day. And so it is that all true churches of Christ must be laid upon the foundation of a proper understanding of Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 10 through 11, it says... According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it, for no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Without the foundation of a true doctrine of Jesus Christ, there is no Christian church. By reminding the Colossians of their conversion... Paul points them back to the gospel that saved them. Three times, Paul draws them back to the teaching which brought them salvation. In chapter 1, verse 3 through 7, he reminds them of their salvation through the word of truth that they learned from Epaphras. In chapter 1, verse 23, he mentions the hope of the gospel that you heard. And in chapter 2, verse 6, he says, they are rooted and built up in Christ just as they were taught. So Paul is telling them they don't need what the false teacher is peddling. They are complete in Christ. They have what they need in him. There is nothing else necessary and there is nothing else that they can do to add to their salvation. And so it's the same with us. We have Christ. We have believed in him. There is nothing else that we need but Jesus Christ. There's nothing else that we can add to ourselves to make us more holy and more acceptable in his sight. All we have to do is focus on Him. All we have to do is believe in Him. All we have to do is to align our lives with His commands because He said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. So we keep His commandments because we love Him and we love Him because He has wrought a work within our hearts and given us a heart of flesh and taken away our heart of stone. Paul is telling them that they don't need what the false teacher is giving. And we don't need what the world is giving, but we need Jesus Christ. Paul draws the Colossians back to the foundation of Christ. And this is the same as his burst of passion that he has in Galatians, in Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3, verse 1. He says, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. So here Paul points out the inconsistency of believing the gospel for salvation 
and then turning to your own works for your sanctification. He calls those who do, stuff, who do this foolish and bewitched as though they have been hypnotized by the false doctrine. They have accounted Christ's work as nothing and his power as weak. The moment any man turns back to a dependence on their own ability and their own work, they are in danger of falling headlong into hell. And what did Jesus have to say about those who depended on their own strength? In Matthew 7, 21, he says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? So we see we have people depending upon their works that they are going to present before God. And many of these works are things that we don't see in the Christian church. We don't see people performing miracles like this or casting out demons or prophesying like this. They may claim to be doing it, but they're not. But then they'll present that before Christ. But what does he say? Verse Matthew 7, 23 says, And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. So what they were presenting to God, God accounted, Jesus Christ accounted as lawlessness, not as a keeping of the law, which they thought they were doing, not as good works, which they thought they were presenting. It accounted them for nothing. In fact, it was an actual condemnation to them. It was more sin that they were going to be held accountable for, not less sin because of their good works. And so all the works they depended on, Christ considered lawlessness. This reminds us of Isaiah chapter 64, verse 6. We have all become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. We all fade like a leaf, and our iniquities, like the wind, take us away. All of our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. So even the righteous deeds we perform, if they are not sanctified by the blood of Christ, they are nothing. We must be sanctified and walk in Christ to offer Him any good fruit that is worthy of offering to Him. After reminding the Colossians of their salvation in Christ and rebuking the false teacher that was tempting them, in chapter 3, Paul proceeds to show them that they have all they need in Christ to live a godly life. Chapter 3, verse 1. Chapter 3, verse 1, it says, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them. But now you must put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices, and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge and after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. 
Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so also you must forgive. And above all, put all these put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So we see this is what the church should be about. The church shouldn't be about all of the rituals and all of the false doctrines that the false teachers told them they should be about. But we have to follow what God's word says. If we have been raised to a new life with Christ, then we should let the word of Christ dwell in us richly. We should be in fellowship with other believers and we should be living a life of scriptural righteousness, not man-made righteousness. Man-made doctrines, rules, rites, and religion are nothing but chains that will drag us away from Christ and straight to hell. The most dangerous heresy is a subtle one. It's the sprinkling of lies with truth. The serpent used this tactic on Eve in the garden. He first seeded doubt by saying, did God actually say? And then he watered it with lies. You will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. In Galatians chapter 1, we see that there is only one gospel, one truth concerning Christ. And all others are a lie, and those who spread the lie are cursed. In Galatians 1, 6, it says, And I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed." As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. So this is what Paul is dealing with in Coloss. A man, in his pride, adding his own requirements to the gospel and creating a Christ that isn't enough. Colossians 2, 16 through 19 Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in question of food or drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions puffed up without reason by a sensuous mind, and not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a gross growth that is from God. So we see the exact opposite of what should be happening. Holding to false man-made religion, denying Christ, turning to a different gospel. And all those who teach it and follow it will be accursed. This is a doctrine of Christ who needs our help and our take on things to accomplish his purpose. It is one of the oldest heresies and it is still prevalent today. It is a doctrine of Christ and when it should be a doctrine of Christ alone. Let's pray. Lord God, we come to you today, humble servants, knowing that 
Lord, we are nothing but destitute without you. Lord, we are like the desert. Lord, completely parched. Lord, dry, without any growth. Lord, full of bones, Lord, and dead. Father, without you and your salvation, without you doing a work in our lives, Lord, we are nothing and we cannot be justified before you. And Lord, any who would depend upon their own abilities or their own works, Lord, they are believing a lie. They are believing something that is false. They are believing a heresy. And Lord, they will one day stand before you in judgment. Lord, I pray that you would not let us be as those people. Lord, that you would save us. Lord, that you would completely, Lord, redeem us from any false work that we have. And Lord, that we would not be found wanting when we stand before you on the day of judgment. Father, I pray that you would give this church sound faith, sound doctrine. Lord, that you would continue to bless our pastor as he studies your word, Lord, and as he teaches it to us. Lord, that he would give us the truth, and Lord, that you would use that truth to sanctify us and to make us holy before you so that one day we can stand before you in Christ, knowing that we will be welcomed in to our heavenly home, and Lord, that we have walked righteously before you and we have bore much good fruit. Lord, that is our desire. Lord, we love you. And Lord, we know that if we love you, we will keep your commandments. And Lord, we will so prove to be your disciples. Lord, let this be evident in our lives. Father, I pray that you would give us peace in our minds, Lord, as the Satan would sow seeds of doubt within us, that, Lord, we would look at our lives and wonder if we truly have believed. But Father, I pray that you would let us bear fruit, that, Lord, we would be able to see the fruit. And Lord, that we would know that we are hidden in Christ, and Lord, that we have been saved by your grace. So, Father, I pray that you would keep our church from false doctrine, keep us from believing lies, and Lord, that you would continue to be with us, and Lord, that you would be blessed, Lord, by our worship to you and our fellowship, Lord, and our love for one another. Father, we thank you for these things, and we glorify your holy name. In Christ's name I pray, amen.